Thank you, Dr. Getch, the staff. Thank you, thank you. And uh, thank you, students, for coming to Mandatory Chapel. Amen. You make me feel appreciated. I really appreciate that. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you're going to go to Psalm, uh, the, fourth, the fourth Psalm. I could not help but thanks in their announcements, Dr. Getch, you announced that uh, 100-plus guests are coming, high school students, to college. And I drifted back in my mind to being in college when guests would come on campus. And uh, maybe you don't have the same fleshy reaction that I had when I was in college, but it was like, oh, brother, they infiltrate here. And, uh, but, but apparently it's like 100 girls. So girls, be nice. And boys, don't date them yet. <laughs> Why am I getting the come-ons? <laughs> Boy, I'm not even going to ask for names. That'd be embarrassing. That would be embarrassing this morning. I'm glad to be here, excited for what uh, God has for us. When I was in college, and we'll get right here in just a minute, there are two things that I still like, gather. I remember hearing uh, the thought that anyone who has done anything great for God has come under the compelling truths from the Word of God. And one compelling truth that stuck with me, I heard my sophomore year of college that has been a guiding principle in my life was this truth, never doubt in the dark what God has revealed in the light. And meaning that God often reveals in revelation to us and direction to us, and then something bad happens. All right, then the Red Sea approaches, and then the giant shows up. At that moment, I am tempted, I don't know about you, I'm tempted to, to say, well, well, wait a second, was God really showing this or really doing this? And that particular truth has helped me throughout my life. That, listen, God, you showed me this. You knew that this was coming. I'm just going to trust you. And often, I would say this, that God typically does not, God typically does not guide in storms. God strengthens and reveals in storms. But then God guides around that. The second truth is this, don't let the classes get in the way of your education. Now, some of you are going to take that literally today and going to flunk everything the rest of the day. That's not what I mean. But man, God wants to do so much in your heart and your life while you're here, all right? Just with schedule, just with stress and the academic crunch, relationally, all those things that God is growing and molding and he will the rest of your life. And sometimes we get so focused on, on this little thing right here called classes, which are important. But just so you know, anyone I've hired, I've never asked their GPA, but I do see if they have character and dependability. All right, and that's revealed in those things. So just two thoughts. Psalm chapter 4, I want to challenge us this morning. We're going to read the whole psalm this morning, and then we'll, we'll look at what God has for us. Hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. Thou hast enlarged me when I was in distress. Have mercy upon me and hear my prayer. O ye sons of men, how long will ye turn my glory into shame? How long will ye love vanity and seek after leasing? Selah. But no. That the Lord has set apart him that is godly for himself. The Lord will hear when I call unto him. Stand in awe and sin not. Commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still. Selah. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. There be many that say, who will show us any good? Lord, lift thou up the light of thy countenance upon us. Thou hast put gladness in my heart more than in the time and their corn and their wine increased. I will both lay me down in peace and sleep, for thou, Lord, only makest me dwell in safety. You know, in Scripture, there are Scriptures that will encourage us and challenge us. When I hear that God is still on the throne, I'm encouraged. Because I can look around and it appears sometimes that maybe God is not on the throne, but I know he is on the throne. I'm encouraged. But knowing truth means that I must respond to truth. 
There's an expectation in truth that I must now have a response. When Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no man can unto the Father but by me, there's an expected response. Either accept him or reject him. And this morning, for just a few moments, we're going to look at this psalm, and I think it will encourage us, but then there's going to be an expected response from the psalm right here that will challenge us, that we'll have to deal with, that we'll have to come face to face with. And I'll encourage you and ask you this morning to look at that response and make sure that you and I are responding correctly to God's instructions. Lord, I thank you for this mo these moments that we have for this time. Lord, for these men and women here. Lord, I pray that the next few moments would not be a waste of time, but would be profitable in eternal value, Lord. That they'd be profitable because we look at your word and we hear from you. Lord, I pray you'd help me as I speak to speak clearly and to correctly articulate these truths from your word. But Lord, I ask your spirit would touch us and change us. And Lord, may we respond to you today. Lord, I ask for your help. We give you the praise and the honor and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. You waiting for me to say that? All right, sit down. It's easy. Psalm chapter 4. We find in verse number 3 that uh, the Lord that has set apart him that is godly. The Lord has, has taken and set people apart. The qualification being godly, not that their actions are godly here in this particular psalm, but the fact that they are a saint or that godliness is bestowed upon them. You see, as a Christian, as someone who has trusted Jesus Christ, my godliness all right, in this particular concept, comes from the righteousness of Jesus Christ, not my own righteousness. And, and Jesus Christ, God here, has set people apart. Why does the Lord set people apart? I would submit as we look at this psalm, and I would label and title this sermon, Favor. Or in essence, God likes you. Did you know that? Like God loves us. Because God is love, and we love him because he first loved us. The, the Bible is filled with the love of God, shown in no greater expression than Jesus Christ. In fact, in John it says, Behold, what manner of love hath the Father bestowed upon us. All right, we can stand in awe of that and wonder of the love of God, but God only loves us. He likes us. He likes you. I want you to remember, if you can, the very first person you ever liked. Maybe it was in kindergarten. Any kindergarten romances here? Oh, don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed, it is proudly. All right, maybe, maybe younger, maybe the nursery. Yeah. Oh, boy, a bunch of creeps in this room. I, I don't know if maybe when you liked this first person in elementary school, you, you wrote one of those notes. I like you, do you like me, check the box. Now, please, do not acknowledge if you did, because I will publicly humiliate you and mock you if you did this. And I would feel badly. They'd take me off the stage. I'd never come back, blah, blah, blah. It'd be horrible. But beyond that, maybe you wrote one of those, and maybe even worse, you got it back, and they said no. Never. Ew. Disgusting. Not if you were the last person ever living. You're like, wow, and you're only in K-5. That's good, good writing. <laughs> Do you remember the first person you liked? You remember what caught your attention, and maybe it was her pigtails? Maybe it was his Twinkie at lunch. Like, wow, that guy, <laughs> his mom packs him a mean lunch. I like him. That girl. I, I am not a fighter. I'm not a fighter. Uh, but I, I was in a fight in the fourth grade with a sixth grader over a, a boy who liked my sister. 
And we were rolling around on the, on the dirt in the, in the playground yard. We both got hauled to the principal's office. I don't know who won. I'm sure he did. But in my mind, I know I thrashed him because <laughs> he liked my sister. Oddly enough, about two weeks ago, I'm, I'm in our gymnasium at a volleyball game. I see this guy. I said, hey, you are. And I mentioned his name. He said, I am. I said, I haven't seen you in like 30 years. You and I got in a fight in fourth and sixth grade. He's like, I was fighting all the time. <laughs> I'm like, I said, I'm sure I beat you up. You know that God loves you, but God likes you. God likes you, and he, he knows what you're like. He enjoys us. He enjoys his children. He enjoys, like I enjoy my children. I have the privilege of having my daughter here. She's nine, and she's with Morgan. Where are you at here somewhere? Danielle? Did I lose you? Right over there, Danielle. She's over there, nine years old. I have three children, a 14-year-old Johnny and a 12-year-old James and nine-year-old Danielle. And so she got to come on this trip and choose the car. So she, she chose a Tesla Model Y. That's what we're driving right now. I like my children. Some parents don't like their children. They don't. Some couples don't like each other, but God likes you. And in this psalm, I notice a few things. One, I first of all notice the recognition of God's favor. But know that the Lord has set apart him that is godly for himself. God has set apart or made him to be marvelous. Him that is godly for his own purpose, for himself, for his own special recognition, for his own special blessing. It is not in my actions, but in his actions. Not in my effort, but in his grace. The Bible says, for by grace are we saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now I know, and I understand you're in college, but I want you to think back to early high school, Seventh, eighth grade year, maybe late elementary. And the teacher asks a question. And she asks for a raise of hands. And there's always that one student who wants to say and answer every question in class. You with me so far? They're making noises in their seat. And the teacher is pretending not to see them. Like, who can help me? What's the answer to this problem? Anyone? Anyone? Uh, 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 uh. All right, and they're, they're grunting, they're groaning, they're moaning. You're over there, unless it was you. Uh, I'm over there like, oh, brother, will they just shut up? What's wrong with them? All right, teachers, pet, what? Oh, my goodness, you have an apple, and what's going on here? And finally, because no one else will volunteer, you know, the teacher says, okay, Johnny, what's the answer? Oh, it's six. That's wrong. What? Oh, just kidding. Oh. It is not that God loves us because of what we have done, but because of what he has done. Because of what he has done. Remember, recognize that God has shown favor. God has shown special recognition because of his godliness that he has given to us. We don't bring anything to the table. We don't bring anything special. I'm not special, and you're not special, but sometimes we think we're special. Yeah, look, I'm pretty talented. I can sing pretty well. I can interact with people pretty well. I can do this and do that. But God has chosen to like us, to privilege us, to set us apart, to sanctify us unto specific aspirations in the image of Jesus Christ, zealous unto good works, and he knows exactly what we're like. You understand, you never get a busy signal when you call out to God. You never get a sorry out of service when you have a, a specific need. You never get a, oh, too bad healings are done for the month. We don't have any left to hand out to you. 
You never get a nope, can't assist you, we're closed. A friend of mine recently went to Buffalo Wild Wings before they were closed. I think they closed at 11, he was there about 9.30 at night. He can see inside the restaurant, and there the hostess is at, at the door, and he sees that the tables are open. He said, can we come in? She goes, no, I'm sorry, we don't have any space available. He can literally see in the glass doors and see like, there's like four people or so in the whole restaurant at this point. You've been to Buffalo Wild Wings? Plenty of seats. He's like, well, well, well can we come and get some food? Oh, no, it, uh, we stopped serving a little bit ago. He's like, you're still open. And ultimately, he was turned away, could not get any food because uh, the lady did not want him in the restaurant. You, know, you never get that with Jesus Christ. You never get that with the Lord. You know, when a person works an eight-hour day and receives a, a wage, it's called a payment. When a person competes with an opponent, receives a trophy, it's called a prize. When a person receives appropriate recognition, it's called an award. But when you and I, who are not capable of earning a wage and a payment, have no way to earn the prize and deserve no award, yet receive a gift anyway, it's called the favor and grace of God. We must recognize this. But number two, recognize this, that there are many that will reject God's favor. Look at verse number one, where the Bible says, Hear me when I call, O Lord, of my righteousness. Thou hast enlarged me when I was in distress. Have mercy upon me. Hear my prayer. O ye sons of men. Here it is. How long will ye turn my glory into shame? How long will ye love vanity and seek after leasing? Understand that people around us, and sometimes other Christians, will not understand and comprehend and appreciate the favor that God gives. I wish my wife could be here today. My wife likes me. It's a good thing. I like her. Man, I love her, but I like her. Now, some of you, when you get married, you're going to really understand this. When you're married, there's some days you love, but you don't like. The Lord gives you grace to work through that. All right? Now, some of you who are in the like stage right now, you're like, oh, I will like him forever. Call me. Call me. <laughs> my wife likes me. And uh, I've run some races, Dr. Getch, and my wife will cheer for me at the finish line. She cheers really, really loud. I can hear my wife cheer about a half mile out or more from the finish line. She's loud. And a half mile on my pace is, you know, a good 40 or 45 minutes. <laughs> Not quite. Uh, little, a couple years back, I was running a winter race called the Winter Loft in Frankenmuth, a town near us, a German town. It was a cold, horrible, miserable race. I was enjoying myself. And my wife, about a mile out from the end of the race, a mile and a half, I begin to hear what I know to be my wife cheering. And I'm thinking to myself, that's odd. Why is she cheering? I'm not there yet. Sure enough, I come around about, a, about another half mile, a mile from the finish line, and there's my wife, Doreen, cheering. And then she sees me, and she begins to scream, there you are, and she's cheering me on. And I found out later on that she'd forgotten what I was wearing that day. And so every time, because she didn't want to miss when I came, every time that she thought I could be wearing that, she'd just cheer for that person. <laughs> but there are all these people who were not appreciating my wife, her like for me. You know, that happens in our life as well. That God shows special favor. God does wonderful things. He answers prayers. And people around you will not appreciate, will not recognize, and will want to turn the glory 
the glory of God that he gives to us and puts on us into shame. Well, that's not God. We're doing some projects at our church, and one of them involved getting an irrigation system to our soccer fields. The only way to, to get into it was to have to tap the line into the fire hydrant line. Now, they said this is not possible, this couldn't be done, but we begin to pray. Say, Lord, there's only way to get water out here. Can you make this happen? The day that the lady came out, who was a township, uh, the township uh, authority there, she comes out and she's like, it's not going to happen, not going to happen. We stood there looking here, this big old eight-inch line. She looks at it, she looks back and forth and goes, I don't care what you do, walks away. I said, that's it. The next day we're out there and the men who were digging dug this line up and I said, man, these men are not saved. They're part of the excavation crew. I said, guys, I said, this is amazing. They said, pastor, they're in the bottom of the ditch about seven to eight feet down. Look, and they said, pastor, this is amazing. We've never seen anyone in all of our years digging, anyone ever allowed to tap the line of a fire hydrant hose just to water a field. And I said, men, I said, that's because God did that for us. You know what they looked at me with? Crazy expression. Like, who's that crazy guy up there? Okay. Well, that's God doing that. Now, just so you know, when they plug that, when they, when they cut that line, tap that line, I have that piece of pipe in my office. It's sitting on a shelf. So I remember God's favor in life. But people will look at you like you are crazy. I don't know about you, but I try to talk about what God does. I talk about answers to prayer. You know that God wants to answer your prayer? This is a complete side note, but this will help you if you write this down. There ought to be some things in life you pray for that no one else knows about. Because when God answers your prayer, your faith will be strengthened. And I'm glad that God hears Dr. Getch and Brother Shetler. I'm glad that God hears all these people. I'm glad God hears you. But I want to know that my God hears me and answers my prayer. And I've challenged our church in this. I've had many people come up, Pastor, I did this. This is what God did. Their faith is strengthened. As you share this, other people don't always appreciate it. Unsaved people especially. They're like, what? What? They call it coincidence. But my friends, God is not coincidence. He is the Almighty. And he works in these ways. And, and what happens is there's a rejection of God's favor. God does this, but it's just coincidence. When I used to be a youth pastor at First Baptist Church, I'd pray with the teenagers. We'd go out soul winning on Wednesday. I said, Lord, can you keep the rain away from the teenagers? Now, there are other people in the church that thought I was nuts about this. People who are unsaved thought I'm crazy. But I can pray and I can ask God to hold off rain while we go soul winning. And there was week after week, we'd pray. The teens would pray, I would pray. We'd go out, head out to the bus, and then I'm praying, Lord, don't let these teenagers down. I know you here, and you may choose not to, but I know you can strengthen their faith. And there were week after week, but, and all of a sudden the teens began to recognize this is God's doing. One time we get back to the church. Men had been storming around us, and I told one of the assistant pastors, I said, man, this is what God did today. And he said, he said, you won't believe it. He said, there is a storm all around us. There is one pocket of no rain, and it's right where you were at. That's the Lord. That's the Almighty. That's what God does. But you know what happens? The unsaved turn to shame, but other Christians turn to shame. Other Christians do. There'll be people around you in this auditorium who you will see an answer to prayer, and they want to appreciate the glory of God. Maybe because of jealousy, covetousness, maybe because they haven't seen God work yet, but there are many that reject the understanding of God's favor in their life. My friends, when God works, it's awesome. It's awesome. 
The Bible says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is a man that trusteth in him. But I want to very quickly and briefly this morning look at the response. It's encouraging to know that God likes me. God likes me on my worst day. God still likes me. It's encouraging to know that God likes you, but, but what is the response? Now, many would take a psychological approach. and In fact, uh, as a parent, sometimes to the children, my children, I'll say, you don't know how good you have it. Maybe you've heard this before. You don't know how good you've had it being in this home. And, and I hope that their response to this moment is to say, oh, man, Dad, Mom, you're right. We have the best home in all of America and all the universe. We are so grateful now. We're so thankful now. Boy, we are blessed with parents. That's not normally their response, but that's what should be their response, right? And it would make sense. It would make sense if the Bible turned us to gratefulness, to thankfulness. But that's not the response that the psalmist gives to us. And in this psalm, it's very interesting and challenging what the Bible teaches us. Look, please, in verse number 4 and 5, where we find our response, three responses to the favor of God. Number one, stand in awe and sin not. Commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still. Number one response. Here it is. Don't miss it. There's a call to holiness. Stand in awe and sin not. Commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still. There's a call to holiness that I find here in a response. God says, For I am the Lord that bringeth you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. Ye shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. First Peter, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. You and I, because God has set us apart, are called to be set apart. But I'm afraid, I fear, that too often we strive to be similar, not set apart. We don't want to be too different. We don't want to be too odd. I'm talking to all Christians. Where God has called us to be different. Went to lunch with one of my friends recently, and uh, unsaved individual, and I have friends who are unsaved. I'm witnessing to them and trying to see the gospel touch their life. We sit down, he said, hey, can I buy you a beer? What do you say? Now, I think most of you would say, no, 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 thanks. But I said, nope, no thanks. I'm one of those Baptists. I don't drink. What? Why not? It took about 15 minutes to explain. I just finished a series on alcohol in the Bible. So I was loaded for bear that day. I shared from the Bible what the Bible says, what I believe the Bible teaches about alcohol. We get all done, and he says... I couldn't do that, but I respect you for it. Now, I'm a nobody. I don't say that to, 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 to tout me, but my friends, we are called to be separate. We are called to be different. We are called to be set apart. We are called to be holy, and God demands holiness. And too often, we're trying so desperately hard to fit in, to not be known to be different. We think a little difference is okay, but, but not too strange. Listen, our church shouldn't fit in. Our children, our lives shouldn't fit in. Our relationships should be different because of holiness, a holiness, a life that is lived worthy of the Almighty. But too many Christians are fraudulent. They're not different. They put on the outside covering of difference, but inside there's no difference. There's no drive to be holy and to please God who has shown his favor and shown special recognition. There was a survey recently about holiness. And the question was, are you holy? 
And they asked some Christians. And they said that of holiness, only 21% consider themselves holy. Are you holy? Or better, does God think you're holy? I can look to somebody else next to me and say, well, I'm holier than they are. And comparing themselves among themselves, they were not wise. God has called us to be holy. Man, he's called us to be holy in our thoughts, in what we view. Ladies, he calls us to be holy in, in how we look and how we think and how we hold ourselves. But holiness is not just found in actions. Holiness is found right here in my heart where I'm striving to please the Almighty. I want him, I want God to look down. And I want him to say, well done, well done. And that's possible. There's a call to holiness. But it can't be there if we're just living life how we want to and trying to, to cut this close. There's a call to holiness. Number two, there's a call to worship. Verse number five, offer the sacrifices of righteousness. The Father seeks such to worship him. Worship in spirit and in truth. I'm talking about continually worship, where every morning I wake up and I have a mind, a heart, to worship God. Worship is not just Sunday. Worship is not just chapel. Worship is every day a heart in communication with my Savior. Where you break out in song in the shower because you have a heart of worship where you're just reminded, Lord, thank you. Lord, I'm so thankful that I can serve you worship. Where you find yourself thinking back to a particular helpful passage of Scripture, worship. There's a call to holiness. There's a call to worship. And we have made worship such an activity, such an action, rather than a spiritual endeavor. There's a call to worship. What would this place, what would the churches of America look like if each of us have a heart to worship? Lord, I just want to worship you today. I want to communicate with you. It makes sense then when we see that verse, uh, pray without ceasing. It makes sense if I have a heart of worship. It doesn't make sense if you don't have a heart of worship. Those who don't understand that say, well, I can't pray all day. I have to work. You don't have a heart of worship. Heart of worship says, I can't wait. It's kind of like, I told you I like my wife. I know we're scheduled pretty well now. She's a teacher in a, in a local school near us, a public school. Teaches about 26 or so students with its own set of, of issues. And, and uh, we, we do that because God has opened so many doors for us uh, in that particular district near us to see the salvation, the gospel work. But I know her schedule. I know when she's teaching and when she can talk. And I know that when she's on lunch break, she can answer my phone calls. But sometimes I text and call anyway. And she'll pop, she says, I can't talk right now. I just want to say hello to you. Just want to talk to you. How often do you just pick up on Jesus Christ? Lord, how you doing? Oh, I just want to talk to you. A call to holiness, a call to worship, but number three, a call to faith. Here it is, verse five. And put your trust in the Lord. A call to faith. Two questions about this. If you look back over the past week, how many decisions have been made in faith? And in this past week, what has defied logic and caused you to walk in faith? Because my Bible says without faith it is impossible to please Him. 
My Bible says we walk by faith and not by sight, but I am guilty as charged that too often I find myself walking by sight and not by faith. I get in my car I've driven before. I can drive by sight, forgetting that I need the hand of God in my life. A little while ago, I came to a stoplight, and the light was red, and the light all of a sudden turned green. Typically, light turns green. My pedal to the metal, baby, let's go. Whatever reason, this morning, I paused for just a moment. In that brief pause, a garbage truck came barreling through the intersection. It was driving a little Honda Civic. There's no doubt in my mind which one would have won. Would not have been the Honda Civic. At that moment, your heart's beating 100 miles an hour. Ooh, Lord, thank you, thank you. I need the Lord to help me drive. Come back in Tennessee a year and a half ago or so, in a space of three and a half miles, there was a crash, oil spill, and a fire on the road. Lord, I need your help. But too often I do things my own way. I mentioned a few years back when I spoke at a Christmas banquet that I used to own a motorcycle. I've sold my motorcycle and I bought a UTV, a Polaris Ranger. I'm a family man, and I'll buy a motorcycle again in a few years. This past winter, we have a pond in the backyard. I'd, already heard, I'd always heard you could, drive, you could drive on ice. I've lived in Michigan a long time. I was thinking it was like you could drive on like three inches of ice. You can't. My wife says, honey, I don't think the ice is thick enough. As a man, I'm like, I'm sure it's thick enough. I'm positive. I can walk on it. I can drive on it. With the ranger fully in the water, I learned two things. <laughs> I learned two things. Number one, I learned that I did not own a tow rope. <laughs> but thanks to my neighbor at 9.30 at night across the street who was already in bed had a tow rope, and he let me borrow it so I'd get my truck and pull my ranger out of the water. It's the first thing I learned. Hard lesson in life. Number two, I learned that truly the ice is not thick enough. Three and a half inches apparently is not enough for a ranger. Now, just so you know, as a stupid guy, like three weeks later, I drove the ranger across another part to make sure it was thick enough and I went just fine. But what happened that day is I was working on my own logic. And my wife had a good suggestion, it's not thick enough. I could have accessed the internet. I could have Googled how thick should ice should be, but I didn't. I just went full steam ahead, J.D. Howell's logic, and made a mess of things. Made a mess of things. But I'm reminded in my own life how often I can access the truth. I don't have to Google. I can access it. I, I know how I can walk by faith, steadfast on his word, but I'm tempted to blow full steam ahead in my own logic. And I always make a mess of things when I do that. My friends, God likes you. He loves you, but he likes you. He sets you apart for something special because of his favor, his choice. Other people won't understand it. Sometimes other Christians won't appreciate it. But he asks for a response, a call to holiness, a call to worship, and a call to faith. And I wonder if truly we're responding the way God would have us to respond because of his favor. I wonder if we're truly holy or we say, God, that's good enough. I wonder if we truly worship or we just fit God in when it's convenient. And I wonder if we truly walk by faith or if that's just something we say because we're at a Bible college. My friends, those are the call. How are we doing?